Here we are back in Zechariah. I love Zechariah again, over and over. <laughs> the disappointing thing about this is that we're in the last vision. This is Zechariah's last vision. Zechariah is now turning to the, the eighth vision, and, it's, uh, and the theme of this vision is a military motif. I want you to make sure you get that. It's a military motif in nature. The passage in substance displays the supremacy and the power of God over all the earth. He has power over everything. God is uh, preeminent over all of humanity, and he is fully in control of the outworking of his providence. The first vision that we looked at that Zechariah had had, and now this, the last vision that we're going to look at, has similar imagery. If you remember that first vision, you saw the horses going out, and, and this one, we have horses again in this vision. Visions two through seven that we had looked at concerned the relationship of Israel to God, the relationship of God to Israel. And so we saw that in visions two through seven. Now we're back, and this time, this vision, this military motif is about the judgment of God's enemies. The judgment of God's enemies. Anyone who is not a believer is an enemy of God. For many years, I was an enemy of God. For those here who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you are an enemy of God. And you say, oh, but I don't really hate him. Yeah, if you don't know him and you don't love him, you do. We're now looking at judgment. We're looking at judgment for all of those who have rejected him and will reject him. Let's look at the passage. We're going to look at Zechariah chapter 6. I'll read through the first eight verses, and that's what we'll look at today, because that is the, the last vision. Now, this is uh, Zechariah writing. Now, I lifted up my eyes again and looked, and behold, four chariots were coming forth from between the two mountains, and the mountains were bronze mountains. With the first chariot were red horses, with the second chariot black horses, with the third chariot white horses, and with the fourth chariot strong dappled horses. Then I spoke and said to the angel who was speaking with me, what are these, my Lord? The angel replied, these are the four spirits of heaven going forth after standing before the Lord of all the earth with one of which the black horses are going forth to the north country and the white horses go forth after them, while the dappled ones go forth to the south country. When the strong ones went out, they were eager to go to patrol the earth. And he said, go patrol the earth. So they patrol the earth. Then he cried out to me, and spoke to me, see, those who are going to the land of the north have appeased my wrath in the land of the north. I think that shows us right away. God is a wrathful God. God does hate. God does hate. He hates sin. He hates those who reject him. And we're going to see that. He's going to display unmistakable power here. The, this section here of this, uh, 
chapter shows the unmistakable sovereignty of God. Without question, he is sovereign over all of the creation. Please follow. What we're going to look at today is the might and the power that are being displayed displayed in many different ways here. I'm going to give you five indicators Five indications of God's power in this passage that shows that he is over his creation, that he is over people. And let's start in verse 1. We have that military motif come out real quickly here. It's displayed, now I lifted up my eyes again and looked. That's the typical beginning of all of these visions, of of the visions that Zechariah writes about. And it says, behold, four chariots were coming forth. The first indication of the power and might of God is that these chariots are going forth. These chariots are being unleashed by God. They're being sent out to bring wrath upon those who reject him. These are not just horses, though, this time. Remember the first time they went out as horses and they went out to reconnaissance the the area. What's going on in the world? No, they're going out as chariots now. Chariots gives a sense of powerful judgment. They're not ordinary chariots. As we have seen in, in a depiction of a movie or, you know, if you've seen Ben-Hur or something like that, those, those chariots run through the flatlands. They run in a coliseum in a circle and those kinds of things. That's where those chariots run. No, this chariot is coming out from the mountains, generally not flatlands in the mountains. So they lack that flat land and they lack the small, the smooth roads and they must be unusual instruments of God. These instruments of God are not investigating any longer. It's not about investigation. God's already made his judgment. They're going out to the earth. They're going out in judgment. You know, folks, I got to pause here just for a moment. Having read that book on repentance, And how much this Richard Roberts hits the idea that is there true repentance, real repentance. And he hit us over and over again. I mean, I have chills in in, in my skin just thinking about this. Is there real repentance? It's not just about coming to church or going to a Bible study or going on a retreat. It's real repentance. Do we have that today? If I continue to do this sin, am I turning from it? Because that's what repentance means. Because if it's not real repentance, it may not be real relationship. It may not be real relationship to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This first portrayal here, the horses are not going in surveillance. These military vehicles are being sent out to judge unbelief. You don't want to find yourself in Matthew chapter 7, where it says, I never knew you. You know, as a counselor, I I see this so often where people are struggling with over and over and doing the same thing. I go, I scratch my head. I do. Not because I have dander, but wonder. Wonder. What is going on in their life that they can miss out on the glory of God, on the peace of God, 
That's what bothers my heart. This first vision here, the chariots are being sent out. That's the first indication of God's might and his power. Let me just read you something. You can just jot it down. Maybe you can read it later this afternoon. You will not take a nap after it, but you can listen, okay? Isaiah 66, 15 and 16 puts it this way. The Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For the Lord will execute judgment by fire and with sword on all flesh. That's what God's going to do. When we get to the end times, that's what he's going to do. He's going to do that to those who don't know him, to those who are not walking with him in humility. The chariots were the stormtroopers. I like, and you know, I like reading about World War I, World War II, Vietnam, Korea. I read about all of those. These are the stormtroopers. They're going out and they're going to inflict pain on this ancient world. So the chariots were unleashed with this description. Listen to this. Four chariots were coming forth from between the two mountains. And the mountains were bronze mountains. I can't tell you how many people try to give an example of what that could be. The Hebrew word there, though, let's, let's give a little bit of background. For chariot is a specific kind of chariot. It's a war chariot. The mission of these war chariots is indicated in the beginning. God is going to war against his enemies. And folks, he never loses. He never loses. These chariots were coming forth between two mountains. The mountains were bronze mountains. Well, let's take a pause here. I was privileged to listen to my grandchildren read to me. 11-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 5-year-old, okay? Read to me. It, it was just glorious to hear them read. They, and I read a lot of books to them, uh, some of which I will not remember the titles of. But this one book, my granddaughter Madison was reading to me called Heidi. The only thing I knew about Heidi is that it interrupted a Super Bowl game once. Okay, that's all I knew. I, know, I don't know what Heidi is. I, I didn't particularly like being the, the Super Bowl being interrupted. But at one point in this book, the young Peter, there's a, a friend of hers, a friend of, of Heidi's. His name is Peter. This friend began because he lived in the mountains. Heidi didn't live in the mountains. She came, oh, I should say she came back to the mountains. And Peter's trying to explain to her what the color of these mountains are. They were looking at the, the sun setting, and the sun was setting between these mountains. And guess what? It gave a bronze color to it. it gave a bronze color to it. I said, you know what, Madison? I think that's the passage I'm preaching. She was able to stop. I mean, of course, she doesn't mind stopping. And I took her to this, and I wanted to show her bronze mountains. You know what that sun is behind those mountains that's sending out those chariots? Is Jesus Christ was God. Sending them out. He's sending them out. That's what's happening here. They're coming between the mountains. It's giving off a glow of fire, and they look like bronze. The picture for Zechariah is very significant, folks. Not that the mountains are made of bronze. That's, that's not the significance. But the image that it symbolizes. 
It symbolizes something in his and in the people's mind. This is the second display, second indicator of God's strength and power. Bronze depicts this. It depicts sureness. It depicts resoluteness. God's judgment is sure. God's judgment is absolute. Bronze is the emblem of this also, of strength. It's a symbol of sovereign rule. And so we see this, and and God uses all the elements for him to give this message to his people. Frankly, I don't don't know if you've ever done this. You witness to an unbeliever, and the unbeliever says, you know, I would rather be in hell than be with a bunch of Christians in heaven. That's scary. That's scary. The bronze is used in the Old Testament in a few different passages. I'm only going to give you one. In uh, Numbers chapter 21, verse 9, I believe it is, the people of Israel had to look at this bronze snake in order not to be judged. So it's a symbol. And it's a symbol of judgment. That's the picture that Zechariah is giving to the people of God here. What are these chariots doing? They're riding between the bronze mountain. They're going forth to do God's bidding, whatever that may be. This is the display of God's absolute, total sovereignty. He holds over all creation. Verses 2 and, and 3 describe the horses. Let's look at that, verses 2 and 3. With the first chariot were red horses. With the second chariot, black horses. With the third chariot, white horses. And, and with the fourth chariot, strong dappled horses. These are the same, not the same colors as the first vision. Can I tell you how many pages commentators wasted on trying to figure out why aren't they? Well, maybe it's uh, Zechariah made a mistake cares what color the horses were. But that's what they're going on. The horses in the first vision were different kind of horses. They went out for surveillance. They went out for reconnaissance. These horses in the, in, in the chariots or with the chariots are going out in judgment. They went out to subdue the nations. Friends, there's so much speculation, and they even bring in Revelation chapter 6, and and they try to add to, to that of what the speculation of these horses mean. Let's just accept the fact that the colors are different, if you don't mind. But please note, it says this, they are strong horses. They are strong horses. All four sets of horses and chariots are strong. Even though it says strong dappled horses, the way and the construction of that Hebrew means all of the horses, not just that particular color. This is the third indication that God's prevailing over the earth and that his horses are strong, that they are going to do the job. They're not going to miss out on what they have been called to do. The horses are very strong, incredibly strong. They are the choice ones because their creator has chosen them. These shock troops are sent out by God to go forth and do his will. Psalm 68, 17 says this, the chariots of God are myriads, thousands 
upon thousands. I thought about that for a little while and I said, oh, they're getting ready for the end time judgment because there's myriads and myriads. Verse 4 really gives us an idea of what's going on with Zechariah. He's having difficulty again. He's, He's seeing this vision and he's having difficulty. And when I say difficulty, I mean he's not understanding this. Then I spoke and said to the angel who was speaking to me, what are these, my Lord? You know, we see that over and over again in the visions. You know, please clarify, help me out. I don't understand what this is. But he's still trying to put it together. One of those um, uh, activities that we had with the grandkids was doing a puzzle, you know, trying to get a five-year-old to put in a thousand-piece puzzle piece. I mean, it's like, you've got to be kidding me. But uh, we tried it anyway. It was fun. It was fun. A little frustrating at times, but that's what it was. But you know what? For God, that's nothing. And here, what are these, my Lord? It shows again God's provision for his people. The interpreting angel defines one symbol by the use of another. We see that in 6.5. The angel, and that's the interpreting angel, replied to me, these are the four spirits of heaven going forth after standing before the Lord of all the earth. Some translations, and you may have it, it says the four winds. Ruai is, is a word that can be winds or it can be spirits, either one. In the Old Testament, it could be translated that way. They stand before the Lord. They're standing before the Lord. They're standing there in anticipation. They're standing there dutifully waiting to be told what to do. They're standing there eagerly as well. They can't wait to do what God has for them. They want that direction. Again, this shows complete sovereignty. This is the fourth indication of God's power over the elements. The winds or the spirits, whichever one you want to use, are that, the indicator of God's power. He has power over everything. What a picture. What a picture of God's complete sovereignty. He is in the heaven of heavens. He is Lord of all the earth. And these chariots stand awaiting his instruction of what what they are to do. God's power can affect change on the earth. He can do it anytime he wants to. You say, but I'm married to a, an unbeliever, unbeliever. God can affect change. But he can affect it. You cannot. He can affect it, not you. Get on your knees. Cry out to him. Don't nag them. It's like when I got... When my wife got saved, the person who had witnessed to her said this, don't put Bible verses on Bill's beer cans. It's not going to help. So just realize you just can't force somebody to get saved. God has to do the work. God has to do the work. The four spirits here are the forces that are going to shape the events of the, in, in our world. These spirits come from standing before the Lord. They are given instruction and they go forth to carry them out. (laughs) Beloved, God is always at work and he's always at work in every single situation. He's Lord of the whole earth. 
behind the, the visible phenomena that, that we have, it, and we see this in tragedy, we see this this week with this hurricane that went up the coast, we, we, we see it so often in tragedy. God gives life. God takes life. But it's up to him. If you don't mind, I'd like to go back to Habakkuk. I, I preached this, you know, for those who are in Faith Builders, a few years ago we preached through Habakkuk, and I, I love Habakkuk, and when I think about God's hand taking care of God's people, I, I love to come back to Habakkuk. And I, and I look at chapter 1, <clears throat> and it says there, the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. So again, we have a, an oracle, a vision, whatever, Verse 2, it says, how long, O Lord, will I call for help? Now, Habakkuk is, is a priest. He's saying, prophet, he's saying, well, Lord, what's going to take there to be a difference here? He's crying out and suggesting that God isn't doing anything. Folks, don't do that, okay? Because you should see what happens to Habakkuk. How long, O Lord, will I call for help? And you will not hear me. Can you believe it? God doesn't hear uh-huh. Don't be a fool. He knows every word that you say and even every word that you have in your mind. And you will not hear. I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Now, what he's talking about is Jerusalem, okay, is under a lot of uh, stress, strain. There's a lot of fighting going on. The people are being attacked there, Um they're basically attacking one another and stealing from one another, that kind of thing. And Habakkuk is saying, hey, you're not going to save these people. Verse 3, why do you make me see iniquity? Oh, he's above iniquity, right? And cause me to look on wickedness. Oh, really? I shouldn't do that. Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. He's, guess what he's doing, folks? Complaining to God. Don't do it. You can't get away with it. Don't complain to God. What you get, you say, thank you for what you've given me. Now I've got to learn how to live with that, work with that, whatever it may be. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is not never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. And so in Jerusalem, in the land of uh, the Hebrews, the Israelites, uh, there's no justice. It's not going on. And, and he's complaining to God. Well, guess what? God speaks. Verse 5. Look among the nations. Observe. Be astonished. That's what we need to be. Be astonished what God does for you. Be astonished. Wonder, but I am doing something in your days. Now Habakkuk doesn't see it, and we don't at times see it. But we need to know God is doing something. Doesn't mean that we sit back in our easy chair. It means we kneel by our easy chair, if I you know put it in those terms. Because I am doing something in your days, you would not believe if you were told. Even if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe it. Oh my, what he's going to do. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. That's the Babylonians, folks. Guess what the Babylonians do? They take those people into captivity 
and bring them to Babylon for 70 years. We're looking at post-exilic. This is pre-exilic. He's complaining because God isn't doing anything. God did do something. And he took the people away because they didn't listen. Because they didn't hear what God had to say. They ignored him. I like to use the Heisman Trophy, you know, kind of thing. That's what they did. Just leave me alone. Stay away from me. God is about doing his work. He's sovereign over your life. And you can't get away with anything. And you shouldn't even try to get away with anything. But that's what happens. They get taken away. We don't need to read the rest of it. We know the rest of the story. They are taken away. By the way, in doing that, actually God protected his people. If you want to know, there was a a lot of fighting that went on in that area during that period of time for that 70 years. God took them away and put them in Babylon, and they were protected to some degree. You see, folks, in all human motives and actions, there is an eternal purpose of God. God's done it for a reason. He's brought somebody into your life for a reason. He sends people out of your life for a reason. Something's going on. You see, God's power and providence are the invisible active agency causing life and taking life. They cause life and take life. This week, a friend of mine sent me a list. It was about 20 items long, to remind me. The list was about the people who didn't make it to the World Trade Center on September the 9th, uh, September the 11th. These are people who, because their dog got sick, they had to bring them to the vet, who, because their alarm didn't go off, and it's never happened before, couldn't make it to the office or because someone had a car accident on the way, or they got stuck on the New Jersey turnpike and couldn't get into the city. And it was one after another, after another, after another. God was actively working in that as well. In their life. Now, I I don't know what it's going to be for. I don't know to what end, but I know God cares. And God is working at all times. And that's what happened there. Is he sovereign, folks? He better believe it. Now, the end of verse 5 gives an emphasis. It says, they're standing before the Lord of all the earth. And I, I know I mentioned it before, but I'm just thinking about it. One day, you will be standing, if you're a believer, before the Lord of all the earth. I tremble at that thought. I tremble at that thought. I I want it so much. But you know what? He knows me like I was transparency. I mean, he can see everything. Unmistakable, unambiguous. This is giving us a a meaning here, folks that he, the Lord, Yahweh, is going to send out his judgment. And that's what happens. You see, lordship and sovereignty are emphasized without question. You you can't come to this and say, I don't really know if that's happened. 
the, the liberal scholars are a whole different breed of people. Verse 6 here gives the directions that the chariots are to go forth through, uh, in, in, in their various colors. Again, there are some interpretive issues here. And since we are, they are somewhat more significant, I think I'm going to bring them to your attention. Let me first read verse 6. With one of which the black horses are going forth to the north com- country, and the white ones go forth after them, while the dappled ones go forth to the south country. First of all, uh, this is certainly not the four compass points, you know, northeast, southwest, and all of that kind of stuff. It's not there going in all directions. The west is ignored because there are no specific enemies there. I mean, you get the Mediterranean Sea. Yeah, you, you have some people down in Gaza that would have been enemies, but they're not really that specifically in, in trouble from that side. The Mediterranean uh, is not going to be a problem for them. The surveillance horses went out in all directions. They, these are not. Something we must keep in mind, this message is a message for post-exilic Israel, I like to keep bringing that back to your mind. The absence of any chariots going east or west does not necessarily mean the message is wrong, that God is not going to send out in the end times his messengers to the east and the west. No. What it means is that in post-exilic Israel, two main enemies existed in their life. One came from the north and one came from the south. You say, but Babylon is exactly to the east. Yes, but they came up and then they entered into Jerusalem from the north. They were seen as the enemy of the north, not as the enemy of the east. The message for post-exilic Israel is that your two main enemies are going to be dealt with. What does that say to them? That gives them hope. Give them hope. Here they are in Jerusalem, as we described them trying to build the temple and trying to build the wall. And they're, you know, between uh, getting all of that done, their enemies are going to be dealt with. And they're going to be dealt with by God swiftly. Can you imagine? I I mean, if I was a a Hebrew in that situation, or if I was Zechariah, what's going on in my heart? Wow, he's taking care of the enemy of the north and the enemy of the south. And you say, but... Uh, You said the enemies in the north. Who's the enemy of the south? Egypt. Egypt. You could say Edom, but that wasn't that significant. It's Egypt. Our friend Zechariah here is ready to explode. He's watching these black horses going out in judgment, heading to the land of where they were 70 years in captivity, Babylon. The enemies of God are about to be spanked and they're spanked good. The two chariots and their horses going to the north seemed redundant, doesn't it? Uh, for, for me, it, it seemed redundant. Why, why does the text say that? I agree with the text. I'm not going to go against God's word. That's exactly what it says. The two went to the north. Remember, there were two different enemies up there, and we have most of the enemies coming in from that direction, so maybe there was a need to send the two I don't know. The only significant nation to the south was Egypt. And so you sit back, as I did, and I ask questions, and I say, whatever happened to the red horses? 
we're in the world of the red horses. I used to be a redhead, so I understand, you know, we, we're, we're neglected, you know? <laughs> People don't recognize us. It's okay. Walt Kaiser, a very well-known Hebrew scholar, said the red horses had already been sent out in judgment. And I don't see that in the text. But Walter's still a good commentator, and he said they're already on their way. Some have speculated that they are being held in reserve for complete fulfillment of the prophecy of the judgment of the earth. You know what, folks? I happen to be in favor of that. Those red horses are still ready. Those red horses and the, and, and the chariots are still ready to go out. The other day when we were in uh, Virginia, Saw this big cloud, this big thundercloud. I mean, the thunder there is so incredible. And, and this big thundercloud come over and I said, Lord, are, are you behind there? Where are you, Lord? I, I can't wait till he does return. That's what's going to happen. I believe they're going to come. They're ready. Verse 7. Gives us a picture of the eagerness of those carrying out the direction of God. Let's read that, verse 7. While the strong ones went out, they were eager to go to patrol the earth. And he said, go patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. They were eager. Gives us an idea that they're standing at ready. When the strong ones went out, they were eager to go patrol the earth. Remember, I said before, the strong ones, here it is again. These are the powerful ones. They're telling the listener that they have just come out of the presence of God. This is the second time the horses are described as the strong ones. We see that in verse 3, and now we see it in verse 7. I don't think that's a duplication. I think that's a show. Hey, these are strong horses. There's a difference between a strong horse and a weak horse. You know, when, when you did the Pony Express, you didn't pick out the, the weak horses. You picked out the strong ones. You didn't get little ponies. They were real horses. They were eager to go and patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. But they were held back by God until the appropriate time. The Lord does not send judgment immediately. Uh, folks, let's pause here again. He has grace. He has mercy. And maybe you're living in that time of grace and mercy. Maybe you've been attracted to the church. Maybe you've been attracted to some of the people in here. Some of them are friendly. <laughs> Only some of them. <laughs> and maybe you want to be here because of the music. Maybe you want to be here. Uh, who knows why? And you're really not yet the Lord's. He has grace and mercy for you. We see for 1,400 years, he had loving kindness towards the Hebrew people and didn't judge them. But how long, oh Lord, will you wait for that person who's sitting in this room right now who doesn't know you? Who continues to play in the sin that they play in? Continues to reject the truth that they've been hearing? How long, oh Lord? These chariots are being held back until the appropriate time. 
He doesn't send out his judgment immediately. But he's still calling you to repentance. He's still calling you to repentance. Uh, I had the privilege of being able to preach at my son-in-law's church um, in one of their Sunday school classes. And I did something on repentance because that's been on my heart a lot. And some folks got up just as I was saying that you must repent. And then I just wanted to remind them that's not a work. That's not a working for your salvation. One of them to hear that as they're going out the door. Okay. I said, it's not a work because Jesus said it in Mark 4, 19. He said, repent. That's why he came was for us to repent. So I pray if you're here and you're just playing around. Repent. Repent. Now, if you look at the New American Standard, for those who have a real Bible, I mean, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. (laughs) It says there, and he cried out to me. Notice it's put in the capital, which means that the interpreter is declaring that this is Yahweh. Yahweh is sending out the forces to patrol the earth and make judgment. I think that's a good suggestion there. This must include all the various sets of chariots and horses going forth to complete the heavenly assignment. Go forth. It's a powerful statement, folks. It says, go take care of business. Go do it. This is the fifth indication of the might and power of our king. Go do it. Go take care of it. Then he cried out to me, verse 8, and spoke to me, See, those who are going to the land of the north have appeased my wrath in the land of the north. They've taken care of it for a little while. They've taken care of it. For now the Lord of the earth, his wrath is appeased. Judgment has been meted out on Babylon with more to come later, I believe. Much more. And it's not just Babylon because there's going to be a Babylon in the end times that's going to receive judgment as well. The indications of God's might and power, his sovereignty, are this. Five five things. Chariots, bronze mountains, strong horses, the four winds, and now the directions to patrol the earth. Now, here's a historical fact. In 539 B.C., Cyrus's overthrow of Babylon. Part of the promised judgments. Complete rest, though, folks, for God will come when the Babylon of the end times is completely and thoroughly destroyed. The enemies of God will receive their due. I said to my brothers and sisters in a letter years ago that I said, look, if I leave this earth and you never hear from me again, there's going to be lots of destruction. You still have time to give your life to Christ. Because my brothers and sisters at that time, none of them would even profess to know Christ. You know the story. You know the passage. You know the scripture. For those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, for those who have followed him for any period of time, you have experienced a love and an affection and a relationship unlike anything else. You know the peace 
of Christ. You know the peace of God. He's in charge. Let him be in charge. For all those type A personalities out there, and I don't believe in all of that, because I think you're all type A personalities, let him take care of what he wants to take care of. But, but there are some who still struggle here with allowing God, with allowing the Lord to take over their life. It's easy to do, folks. You hold your hands open. You pray to God, hey, take whatever you need. It's up to you. You see with the world crumbling around you, but God is about doing his business. And I love that idea because I don't like some of the things that are going on out there but he's about doing his business. Do not fret and do not try to take matters into your own hands. You'll muck it up for sure. God is in heaven. And I want to give you one illustration out of life of Mike Pence. He was running for governor of Indiana. He was told by all of those uh, high-powered uh, um, people that put a, a campaign together that he needed to be dirty in his campaign and, and throw out enough stuff at the other guy. And it really bothered him, his heart. Because he, he, that wasn't him, but he did it anyway. He lost. That was the first time he ran for governor. Later on, he ran again, much later on. And he won. But he said that time he and his wife sat down and they prayed. I said, no, at no time are we going to throw garbage at anybody else. And he had much garbage thrown at him, but he still won because he put himself in the hands of God. And that's exactly what we need to do at all times. Let's pray. Father God, uh, you are good and you're always good. Even as some of the most wicked things that we know that have happened on this earth, Lord, you are in charge you're always in charge. And I'm so grateful for that. I know that uh, you protect us. You are kind to us. You love us, even though we are yet sinners. Thank you for that. Thank you for this passage, for Zechariah. Thank you for all the visions that we've been able to work through here and being able to see a good God to his people and to us. We pray this in your name. Amen.